the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. This is Jim Hacking. We have an extra bonus episode for you. I recently gave a talk at St. Louis University Law School, my alma mater, to a bunch of students who are taking law practice management in the hopes of one day opening their own law firm. I was a little bit wound up, and I think you'll hear that in the talk. But I got real excited about the possibility of these students going out on their own someday. And it really, I thought, laid the groundwork for sort of where my mindset is on when and how attorneys can go out on their own. So I really hope you like this bonus episode. The best part about it is that Tyson is nowhere to be found. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. that um, Jim Hacking has is was able to come. He's a very busy man, and you have probably heard his name. If you recall, the accounting girl, Jill Hewlett, um, had mentioned, you know, oh, I see you've got Jim Hacking. Uh, Jim Hacking has, you actually taught this class at one point, mm-hmm. um, and Jim is just kind of a guru, and he has really, he's very generous with his time with many students of ours and just anybody that goes out on their own. He's been through it. He knows it. He's got a great story to tell about going out on your own and very passionate about, about it. And I, I want you to hear from him because he is really among the best in the area. Let me just say that. But I really mean that. I'm very excited. And without any further ado, Tim, I'm going to let you talk. Thanks. I want you guys to give a shit. I want you guys to take this <laughs> Uh, I want you to take this whole class really seriously because you might not know it or not, but you guys are the smartest kids in this school. You're the only ones who took this class. And this is the most important class in all of law school. You can learn about torts or trust or any of the other crap. Studying for the bar, it's important. I get it. If you want to be in a particular practice area, you got to know the substantive area. But the one thing that they didn't teach when I graduated from this law school exactly 20 years ago. um, I'm 30 was, I know, was that uh, how to run a law practice and how to make business, how to make money and how to run a business and how to manage people. And these are all things that I've had to learn the hard way uh, and on my own. Uh, Next week, you're going to hear from a buddy of mine named Tyson Mutrix. Tyson and I have a podcast called Maximum Lawyer. It's just about a year old. Every week, we 
rant and rave and interview people and talk for about half an hour about things related to law practice management, running your firm, and, and marketing. My journey began when I graduated from law school uh, 20 years ago. I went to work for a small, a mid-sized firm, 20 attorneys in Clayton, and I was really happy. I was making $45,000 a year, and I thought that was just great. And um, after about a year and a half of working there and taking abuse from one of the partners, I decided, boy, I'd really like to get out of here. Well, a friend of mine was a new partner at Lewis Rice, which is one of the bigger law firms in the city. And he said, hey, Jim, we're hiring laterals, and would you want to come down and interview to come work here? And I thought, ooh, that'd be great, because I'd be going from making 45000 to making 85000 a year. And that was just going to be great. So I went down and interviewed, and I, I got hired for the job. Now, I should back up. For two years before I went to law school, I worked at a plaintiff's firm called Gray and & Ritter. And that uh, law firm uh, was a great place to work. I did plaintiff's work for two years. I learned a ton. I knew what interrogatories were before I got to CivPro, and it really set me up for success. When I got to uh, law school, or I, I continued working there during law school, and I had health insurance through there. And that firm wanted to sue Blue Cross and Blue Shield because um, Blue Cross and Blue Shield had been doing some funny business with their money, and they needed some plaintiffs, and I had Blue Cross Blue Shield through that job. So there was a lawsuit filed, a class action filed, and it was Jim Hacking and one other guy versus Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And um, so this is all before I went to law school. And this is all before I went to work at Reason and Blitz and before I went to work at, um, before I interviewed at Lewis Rice. While I'm in law school, I met my now wife and we had a conversation one day about me being in that lawsuit. She said, you know, this is a small legal community. You probably don't want to have your name on something like that. And I said, ah, nothing bad's ever gonna happen. So I forgot about that, she forgot about that. We, uh, we were engaged in June, we, we got married, and I had it all timed out. So I got hired at Lewis Rice, we got married on June 19th, we um, went on our honeymoon, and I was going to start back like August 1st. And when we came back um, from our honeymoon, there was a message on the answer machine from the hiring partner saying at Lewis Rice saying, hey, Jim, there's a, there's a problem. You need to call us before you come into work tomorrow. And I said, okay. So immediately, I thought of that lawsuit. I didn't say anything to my wife, but I knew right then that there was a problem. And what happened was is that in between the time that I was hired and the time that I uh, started, uh, they had brought on a new partner. And that new partner had landed his new client, and that new client was Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And the lawsuit that he was defending was James Oliver Hacking III versus Blue Cross and Blue Shield. So like that, I was unemployed. I lost my salary doubling job. My wife uh, had her job lined up and, and I was unemployed for about a month. I found work, uh, employment at a maritime law firm and I, and I uh, didn't know anything about maritime law. Never took it, didn't know anything about it, but um, they were paying well and they were nice guys and they hired me. And so I worked at that firm for 10 years and I became a partner at that law firm and those guys were great guys. Uh, at the time, I was like 33. One of my partners, I eventually became a partner, was 43, and the other partner was 53. And we had three or four big, big, big clients. And I was thinking to myself that I did not want to uh, be dependent 
on other people for my business, that I did not want to have to find work to do through other attorneys' contacts. At my prior job, my first job, there was a partner there who really abused the other attorneys. And he really was mean, and he could do that and get away with it because all the clients were his. And with the guys I was partners with, they weren't like that at all. But I always had that in the back of my mind that I was worried about being stuck, dependent on people. There was a partner there who was like in his 50s. He got all of his work from this asshole attorney, and he had to take this guy's BS every week because that guy had the clients and he did not. So I always knew in my heart of hearts that the only stability in this business is having your own source of clients and clients. And, and I think that's one of the main takeaways I want you to hear me today. All right. So uh, I went to work at this maritime firm. I worked for 10 years. By this time, we had two kids, and I had this great idea. I really wanted to go out on my own. I wanted to leave the stability of a partnership. I wanted to leave a six-figure salary. I wanted to leave it all behind and start on my own. Now, where in the hell did I ever get this idea? Well, during law school, uh, I had changed religions. And, and my wife is originally from Egypt. She used to teach here at the law school. And um, so I converted to Islam in 1998. And we got married in 1999. And all that time when I was doing maritime work, I'd go to the mosque and people would ask me to help them with their immigration matters. And I was like, I don't know anything about immigration. I don't know, I don't know anything about it. Um, I had taught myself maritime law with my partners, so I thought I could do it again, but I just sort of, I, I wasn't ready to, to take that plunge. Amani was working here at the time, and so we had health insurance, and we had enough salary to know that we could pay the mortgage. Um, and so I, I, I begged and cajoled and pleaded for about a year and she agreed to let me go out on my own. Um, and so I hung out my shingle, and my idea was that I would do immigration, and I would do legal work for immigrants. So I knew how to do personal injury stuff because I'd been doing personal injury defense for 10 years, and I'd done it on the plaintiff's side before and during law school. So I thought that I could do that. I also thought I could teach myself immigration. I didn't know anything, so I had another attorney who was working in the private sector who worked for me part-time as a 1099 contractor, and he helped guide me through me learning immigration for like the first two years. Eventually it dawned on me that he was making more mistakes than I was, and I decided to separate from him. And we just kept doing more and more immigration and getting rid of the other stuff. And that's a really important lesson for me and for you, I think, is that you know, you really have to be able to follow where the need is. I, I ultimately satisfied a need that people had. So um, I study a lot of marketing stuff, and one of the marketing people that I study is a guy named Gary Halbert, and he's crazy. Um, but he, he would ask this question of people, if you were going to open a hamburger stand, a restaurant, where would you, what, what, what do you think would be the number one factor in the success of your hamburgers. So I'll ask you guys that. Yeah. Location. Location, that's right. So you got it really quickly. So he said the, the number one thing is a starving crowd. And the, the starving crowd is the most important thing. So I didn't know it at the time, but immigration was very important to people. And my partners were all like, you're going out on your own. I can't believe you're doing this. You're crazy. There are a lot of immigrants who need help, but not, any of them, not many of them have the money to pay for it. Well, the thing is, when you're talking about immigration, about staying in the United States, about bringing your spouse here, keeping your spouse here, finding a job, getting your citizenship, 
keep him from being deported. These are all things that are sort of high on the list of priorities for people who are here. So they, people find the money. Um, but we kept pushing out different things, and we kept seeing what worked and what didn't work. And <coughs> resoundingly, it was immigration that came back to us, that people wanted us to do immigration. They wanted our help with immigration. They, they weren't calling me to do car accidents, and we just sort of pushed that stuff out. And it really got to a point where I was, it wasn't like I was getting these big multi-million dollar personal injury cases. And, and so I just started, I, I was burning up all this energy on these little car accident cases. And it dawned on me that I could do really easily some immigration work and make the same amount of money that I did on the um, personal injury side and with a whole lot less headache. So about five years ago, we stopped doing anything but immigration. And now that's all that we do. And... Um, Mary Pat wanted me to talk a little bit about the, the form of the law firm and sort of how that works and sort of what's happened since. So when we started in 2007, it was in a room like from that door to here. We rented space from some other attorneys, and it was myself and my paralegal, Adela. Adela was Bosnian. She worked at the, at the mall selling cell phones. She was 18 years old when she started with me. She would answer the phone, and she, and she would say, hacking law practice, and then she'd say, Jim, it's for you. And then I'd pick, I'd pick it up. I mean, it was, like, it was like Better Call Saul. It was like the Lincoln lawyer. It was real, real uh, hand-to-mouth and learning as we go and researching and just sort of improvising. And I am a fast starter. I am a, I, I am a, a risk taker. I always had the stability of Imani working and having health insurance for our kids but other than that, I was really willing to sort of go out on my own and really put myself out there. And eventually we started developing... That water is for you. I'm fasting. Oh, yeah. you can't even have water? No. Oh. So uh, we, uh, we eventually started building systems. So um, it dawned on me that we were doing a lot of the thing, same things over and over and over. And so like, if Mary Pat married someone from Ireland and wanted to bring him here... We, would, we had to prepare a whole set of forms. So we would do, we created an intake form and we got some processes together where we really started to, um, to get things going the right way. We, we streamlined it a little, we cut down on the time, we got our turnaround time pretty good. Adele has now been with me for nine years and we've really grown and I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. But back then, it was she and I knocking out forms, meeting with clients, um, and I always sort of took this attitude with clients that I can help you, I'm good at what I do, I will do a good job for you, but if you don't hire me, that's okay. I, I think that if, if you as a lawyer are, if they can sense that you're hungry for the business, they walk right out the door. But if you take the attitude, I don't give a crap if you hire me or not, then they want you more. I don't know really why that works. I guess it's a psychology thing. But um, so the first year we had about 40 clients. The next year we had about 70 clients. And eventually, you get into this rhythm. With immigration, it's really nice. So if I helped Mary Pat's husband come to the United States, then I help him get his green card. Then later, I help him get his citizenship. And then later on, he wants to sponsor his mom and dad. And then mom and dad come, and they want to sponsor their kids. And so this virtuous cycle sort of happens, right, where you can help people move up the immigration ladder, and they can keep referring you, OK? From a marketing standpoint, I didn't know jack squat. I was an arts and science history major. I didn't know anything about anything. I had the world's 
lamest website. If you want to go on Wayback Machine and look at hackinglawpractice.com, you can see it. I think I even had maritime and immigration on there. It was five static pages. It was the worst thing you ever saw. One day, there's an attorney in town that I was looking for. His name was Dan Ryan. And I got on Dan Ryan's website, and I still have never met him, but I got on his website, and when I got to the very bottom of his website, it said, this website is created by Foster Web Marketing, the most impactful, important legal marketing website company in the world, or some crazy thing. So I clicked on it, and on this website, they had two things that have become essential to my success. One is, they had three questions up on top. It said, why am I, why, why am I here? One was, my website sucks. One was, I need more business. And I don't remember what the third one was, but I clicked on one of those things, and it took me to this lead magnet. I wanted to learn about social media. It took me to this lead magnet. Does anybody know what a lead magnet is? A lead magnet is something that you offer to a lead, to someone who's interested in what you do, in exchange for their email address. Okay? So for me, there was a special report about Twitter that I really wanted for free because I wanted to know how to learn, use Twitter to get clients. And so um, I clicked on that and I put in my email address and that started me in this email sequence for Foster Web Marketing that kept telling me how great they were and showing me all their cool websites and explaining why I might want to do business with them. So as I said earlier, I'm a fast implementer. So I called them right away. I totally bought all of the crap that they had. I, I paid $10,000 for a website. I signed up for $750 a month for this internal website that only they controlled. But through that, I learned how to market because they invited me to this marketing seminar in Virginia by a guy named Ben Glass. And Ben Glass is a personal injury attorney, medical malpractice attorney in Virginia. And he does this three-day seminar where all he talks about is marketing for lawyers. And this was like unheard of. This was like the skies parted, the clouds parted, and the sunlight came in, and I was like, I was gone. I was like ready to go. So I went to this conference like three years in a row, and I started learning about marketing. I started learning about business, and, and I learned about books to read, and I learned about podcasts to listen to. And I propose that if you listen to these podcasts, and if you read these books before you graduate from law school, you'll be a thousand times ahead of almost all attorneys in St. Louis, not even just the ones who are graduating. You guys can level the playing field by teaching yourself this stuff long before you ever graduate. And so I became a real student of marketing, and I found a podcast that I really love called I Love Marketing, and it's by these two guys, Dean Jackson and Joe Polish. Dean Jackson is a real estate guy. Joe Polish was a carpet cleaner, and they taught me through 250 episodes of their podcast how to do marketing for lawyers. And what I realized is, is that the coaching group that I was in and the website that I was in was they were sort of doing what these guys were giving away for free on I Love Marketing. So I quit all that stuff and now I do it all on my own. I moved all my website to WordPress. So I have a WordPress website that costs me like $35 a year. And um, I have a YouTube channel where I have 182, 182 YouTube videos that are each about three or four minutes long. And I have about 1,200 followers on Twitter, and I have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group of 460 people who are interested in immigration. And I send out a weekly email every Monday, like clockwork. Every Monday morning, I send out an immigration um, email, and it's half about immigration, and it's half about me or people in the office or funny things that happen, or really, with a favorite thing that people have are client successes. So 
I, be, I, I am a, I don't consider myself that much of a lawyer anymore. I consider myself a marketer who happens to be a lawyer. So I, I, if I got to do this stuff all day long, I would be happy. I still have to practice law because we're so freaking busy, but eventually I want to outsource that stuff. And we've, re we've really grown. So right now in our office, Adele is still there. She sort of runs the place with me. Um, we have a, a, a receptionist. So Adele is from Bosnia, our receptionist, receptionist is from Iraq. My wife, Amani, joined our firm last year after leaving the law school. She came with us, and she's practicing law full-time now. We have another attorney from Minnesota. So there's three attorneys. There's Adela, Marwan, and then we have two part-time people, and then we have a bunch of law interns. So it's a really busy place. We're getting ready to move out with, to West County. Oh, you are. Yeah. Yeah, our landlord is renovating our building, and he invited us to move out for three months, but that just wasn't going to work. So we went and we, we bought my parents' house out in West County. So now we're out there and we're moving out there. And we've really developed, the nice thing about immigration too is that it is a, it is a nationwide practice. I can practice immigration law anywhere in the country. So I can't give legal advice about a criminal law citation or something in Georgia, but I can go to Georgia and I can do somebody's citizenship case. I can practice law throughout the United States. The other thing, I've really developed this niche because I had done litigation for 12 years before I did immigration, because I frankly feel more comfortable talking about litigation than I do about some really esoteric area of immigration law, I've developed this niche where I have, uh, I have these Muslims who've been waiting for their citizenship for a really long time. There's this, this government program to slow down immigration of Muslims to the United States called CARP, the Controlled Application Review and Resolution Program. And the ACLU had a big lawsuit about this, and they found out that it is a real program and that there's basically 35 agencies working together to figure out ways to slow down immigration by Muslims. And they slow them down at citizenship, at green card, at asylum, all these different things. So when, when a case has been delayed for more than a year or for an unreasonable amount of time, you can go into federal court and ask a judge. You can do the world famous writ of mandamus. This is like the one legal thing I still remember. The writ of mandamus, and you can ask the judge to compel USCIS to decide someone's case. And in that lawsuit, you throw in a claim that the Controlled Application Review and Resolution Program is illegal, and you want a declaratory judgment that this program is illegal and should be stopped. And the Immigration Service will do some horse trading. They will moot out your client's case by deciding the case in exchange for you not pushing ahead with the CARP challenge. And I've done this now probably for about 120 people. And it's really my favorite thing to do. Eventually, it will be the only thing that I do. I've been filing them one a week, and I really get a lot of joy out of it because the people hire me to do the lawsuit. I have just this week, I had a guy who was waiting for his citizenship for four years. He called the senator, he called the ombudsman, he made info pass, he went down there, everything he could do to get his case moving. And it didn't move until we filed the lawsuit. We filed the lawsuit, we serve it on by registered mail, they have 60 days to answer. The 50th day, they call me up, they say, Jim, we're gonna schedule Ali for an interview. I fly down to Houston for the interview, he gets approved on the spot, and he's going to become a citizen next Wednesday. So it's very fulfilling. It's financially pretty good because I can get the lawsuit together in about an hour and a half, and I, can get, and I get to travel and go down, and, and they pay me for that too. So it's really gotten to be um, something that I really enjoy because it's really impactful. Um, so that's sort of us and our practice. Um, as far as systems go, um, there's been an interesting change that's happened since Amani joined the law firm. So I am a quick starter. 
I am not a follow througher, right? It's not my bag. Um, I am. I am. It's, a, it's totally Amani's. I'm a shiny object kind of a guy. If I see, I'll try something new. I was at the gym today, and I literally saw a squirrel, and I squirrel, squirrel, at the gym, um, which is like they, the joke that they say, but I, I literally did that. So um, if Adele were here, she'd be groaning and grunting and saying, oh, yeah, like we've tried every kind of software, practice management software. We've tried every kind of marketing thing. We, I'm always up for it. Like, like we've been on ProLaw, Clio, uh, Abacus. I think you talked about Abacus at one point that you really liked it. I did. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I'm on this, I've been on this program, this software, for a while. It is not legally based at all. It's called Infusionsoft, and it's a marketing software. And we're building our practice on the back of it. Um, Tyson will talk to you about that next week when he comes. Um, but when it comes to bringing in business... One of the key tenets of our firm and thing that we work on in marketing is we talk about the before unit, the during unit, and the after unit. So the before unit is how do I get people, how do I identify the people that are interested in hiring me or in immigration help? How do I get them to raise their hand? And so the before unit is from the time they raise their hand until the time they actually hire us. The during unit is all the marketing that we can do to them which is primarily doing a good job for them. What can we do during the representation to make them like us, know us, like us, and trust us more? And then the after unit are two things, referrals and um, repeat business. So it's really a, a, a cycle eventually before, during, and after unit. And so Tyson is really good. He's done a really good job of automating through Infusionsoft a lot of his during practice, during uh, steps. So he does criminal and personal injury, and he's really automated. Like, I refer cases to Tyson sometimes, and he's got it set up so that he just needs to put in, like, that an offer's been made from the insurance company, and it'll automatically send me an email. It'll automatically send the client an email. It's really, it's really fancy. I focus more on the before unit, so that's with my weekly email. And so th marketing's so sophisticated right now that even within immigration, I can break down if somebody's interested in asylum or citizenship or green cards or whatever, we can market to them specifically about that. So they get, they get put into an email sequence about asylum or about citizenship because if they're asking about asylum, they don't care about citizenship. And if they're asking about citizenship, they don't care about green cards. So it's really, really sophisticated and it's really helped our, our growth. When I started with Infusionsoft, we had about 500 people in our database. Right now we have about 9,000. Right, um, and 7,500 of those people get an email from me every Wednesday, every Monday, and invariably when they get that email, they always call, they always write me back and say, "Oh, Jim, I've been meaning to talk to you about this, or I've been meaning to talk to you about that." What soft, what email service do you use? That's Infusionsoft. And so Infusionsoft sends it. Well, I, mean, I, like I you, write you, it. Write I write it. it and and they, but it's that's the vehicle to yeah. send it. But then everybody, yeah, that, that part is sort of manual. That's almost like constant contact, that little part of it. But the real value of Infusionsoft is we keep all of our notes on what happens in the case. And also, if someone says they, wanna, they, want, they are interested in asylum, then they get 10 emails over the course of two weeks about asylum. And, and, and they also get access to my, my videos. So with YouTube, YouTube's been insane, absolutely insane. So... I started, you know, I make them one video at a time. So in my office, I have a little green screen closet, right? So there's, there's two lights 
there's this camera, which I forgot to bring my memory card because I was going to record myself. And there's a, a tripod and there's a green screen. And I'll go in there and I'll, in the morning, I'll put on a tie, or I won't if I don't feel like it. And I'll, I'll shoot a video and, and I create content. And the content is really good because the content all comes from questions people ask. So you don't ever need to tell anybody, I've been a lawyer for 30 years. I, we have 30 years combined experience. We will fight for you. We look at us in front of these pretty law books. All that stuff is stupid and crap. People don't care about that. People just want answers to their questions. So what I do is I keep a notebook. When I meet with clients, I use their language and I write down the questions that they have. And then I go back the next day and I'll shoot a two or three minute video or five minute video and I just do it on the green screen. I upload it into this Google Drive folder. My man in Pakistan, Hassan, um, edits it, puts my logo in the back, my phone number, and he uploads it to YouTube. YouTube um, automatically uh, through Zapier, it goes off to Rev. Rev transcribes it, then Rev uploads the transcription into my WordPress site. I go in and clean up a couple things. I insert the video and I post it and that's, that's all Google juice. So we've done that. Sometimes I go sort of crazy and I do like, like sometimes I'll challenge myself. Like I did 30 videos in 30 days cause that was weird. But usually I just do one, <laughs> usually I just do one a week. I, every Monday I try to do one with the, with the new, with the new email. I try to do another video. How much time does that, do you spend on? So it used to take me about an hour because I was editing it myself. But then I found Asan through Upworks, and he does it for ten or fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks, and so the video takes me three. It takes me more time to get dressed to do the video <laughs> than it does to actually do the video. And then I just I take out my little memory card, I insert it in, I upload it to YouTube, and he gets it all up, and it's great. Yeah, and so you know, then Google loves the Google loves the transcription because those are all keywords and phrases. And we've really just tried to make it as frictionless as possible. Um, That's really creative. I yeah, so we have, right now, I think, I think my, one, of my, one of my videos has like 60,000 views. And some of the videos that I do are things that are annoying questions that people ask me all the time that aren't going to lead me business. So the number one video I have is, what do I do if I want to get a visitor visa to the United States? I can't help people with visitor visas. So I've taken every piece of information that I know about visitor visas, I've put it on that video, I've transcribed it, and now when somebody, if Mary Pat calls me up and asks me about a visit visa, I just click a button on her contact record and it shoots her off the email with the video and they leave me alone. So it's really about being efficient and about knowing where you make your money, okay? Um, what else? How did you drill down to determine um, if you could expand a little bit about that, about focusing solely on immigration. Okay, all right, so I, am, I have become convinced, and I believe this to be true, one of the books in there that was is a book called Tribes. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't that book called Tribes by Seth Godin. That Americans, and for me, people around the world's attention spans are so short right now that you need to be in a place where when people think of you, they think of one word. And when they think of that one word, they think of you. And I absolutely believe this to be true. That if, if, if somebody thinks that I, if, you will find websites, I will come across them, of people, one attorney who has 30 practice areas on their website. Now that just screams, I'll do anything for a buck. 
I'll do anything if you'll pay me. I am so desperate, I need you to send me business. I need you to send me money. Drilling down and picking one practice area was the best decision I ever made. Every time I narrow my focus, I make more money. I, I envision a time very soon where we will not even do a deportation anymore. Deportation cases are stressful, they're combative, I wake up in the middle of the night worried about my clients. I don't do that when I'm doing a, a green card case. And I can do four green card cases for the price of one deportation case, and I have no stress for deportation. So I suspect that very soon we will start farming out our deportation work. Or, or we'll have an attorney who loves doing that, and that's all that they do. Yeah, which is fine with me. I, I'd be happy to do that. I like deportation work. It's just really stressful. So um, I also think that when you are... When you are a specialist or narrow in one area, you are much easier to refer to. In other words, for a while, I was doing immigration and I was suing employers for employment discrimination. And, and I stopped doing that. Um, I refer that stuff out now. And um, one, one reason that's good is because I can't be an expert in more than one thing. It's just impossible. The law is way too complicated now. And I was making small mistakes that were slowing things down. I, I told a client that their judgment was not going to be subject to income tax, and it turned out it was. So it ate up my whole fee, and I lost some money. That's one thing. Number two, <clears throat> when I say about making you easier to refer to, when I was suing these big employers, some of them were at firms that were unwilling to send me clients because I was suing their other clients. But now that people know that I'm only doing immigration, then they're not worried that I'm going to either steal their clients or sue their clients, right? So it's my, and right now, 50% of my business comes from immigration, or comes from the internet. 25% of it comes from uh, past clients, and 25% of it comes from attorneys. So um, that just is something that's really easier for them, and, and there's no friction. I'm all, I always want to get rid of the friction. Um, I think... Starting off, though, like yeah. when somebody, you know, when some of these folks might want to go out on their own, Okay. how hard, I mean, do you recommend starting that way, or was it a valuable experience to have done more? Like you did. Do you know what I'm saying? No. I think they should do it as fast as they can. Okay. I think they should do it as fast as they can. They should get rid of the bullshit, get rid of the things they're not good at, get rid of the things that they don't like, find out what you like now, 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 start writing about it, start blogging about it, start connecting with people on LinkedIn about it, and become an expert before you graduate in that area. Pick one thing, one thing, not two, not three, not four, one, one thing, and become the go-to person. If you pick... Somebody tell me something that they want to do. Tell me somebody, somebody who knows a practice area that really, really interests them. Tell Criminal me. Criminal law. Criminal law? Yes. What year are you? Second year. Second year. All right. You're going to start a blog. You're going to start a blog today. The blog is called, what's your, what's your first name? Louis. Louis on, Louis on criminal law. Right? And you're going you're gonna to set up Google alerts. You're going to set up Google alerts, and you're going to find people on Twitter that talk about criminal law, and, and there's going to be an article. Bill Cosby's being prosecuted for sexual battery. You're going to write a blog post on that. You're not going to give legal advice. You're not going to, you're not going to be a lawyer. 
You're going to comment on it. You're going to show that you have interest in it. You're going to write about criminal law and tweet about criminal law all day long in the next year and a half until you graduate. When you're done, your website's going to have a shitload of content and Google juice. And you, if you want to go work for a law firm, if you come to me and you've been blogging about criminal law for a year and a half, I'm going to want to hire you. I'm going to know you're paying attention. I know that you're engaged. If you want to go out on your own, then you just change that into your law firm's website and you gather up all that Google juice. And you're also going to learn criminal law while you're doing all that. It's, it's, it's learning in public in a way that's um, beneficial to you and maybe to your readers. You will get followers. There was a kid that graduated from this very law school named Rex Gradeless. When he graduated, he had 36 thousand Twitter followers when he graduated from this law school 10 years ago. Um, so I would, I, I think the sooner you get out on your own, the sooner you get your own clients, the better off you're going to be. I used to come in here and I was like, oh, I don't want to tell those students to go out on their own. I don't want to be responsible for that. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I have seen too many people like Tyson like Joey, other people who um, have gone right out and started their own. Now, my wife would go apeshit if she even heard me saying this. She would say, you're crazy, and there's certainly perils to it. You can't hold yourself out as an expert until you are an expert, and you, can't, you have to partner up with other people in order to make sure that you're giving competent advice. There are the rules of ethics that you, know, you have to do your due diligence and have to be able to do this correctly. But... You can learn a ton now. Um, and as much time as you spend learning your substantive area of the law, learn marketing, learn management. I was talking earlier about how things have changed in my office since Amani came, and they really have changed so much for the better. I think Adele has been driving me, I've been driving Adele crazy over the years with all my fits and starts, with all my um, harebrained ideas. And I, I don't really focus and follow through on finishing things. Well, now that Amani's there, Adela has an ally, and she has someone, and she has someone who can call me out on my bullshit. So literally, about a month ago, I was sitting around thinking up some things, and I said, I've got this great idea, you guys. And they're like, no, 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 we're not doing that. They said, this is what we're going to do. So they have started this program to completely systematize everything in our office so that if you walked into my office tomorrow, you could open up a binder or actually get on a Google um, internet that we're building and it would walk you exactly through how to complete a, com a complete a naturalization application from start to finish. And even if you didn't know anything about the law, you would know how to fill out this application. That's how we're getting to the point where this is how you turn on the lights, this is how you turn on the coffee machine, this is how you make phone calls, this is how you get a refund, all that stuff. So Tyson's great on the systems of the during unit. I'm pretty good on the marketing side. And um, Amani and Adela are living in here. I understand its value. I know it's important. I know that we have to do these things. I'm just not the right person for it because I'm more about connecting and finding new clients and finding, you know, different mechanisms to make it rain. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, another thing yeah. that um, Jill was talking about, it, students really enjoyed her. She, did she, she have her purple hair? 
Did she? I think she got rid of her purple hair. No, but she did on a website. She what? She had it on a website. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Oh, I love. I really enjoyed. I was her first client. She's yeah. that. Yeah. She told us that. Um, she really, she really was. She's good. Yeah. She's very competent. Um, but she was talking about um, talking, she, doing flat fees and figuring that out and doing alternative billing. Yeah. And she, she didn't say exactly what she did, but she talked to you. She thought, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how do Is flat fee alternative billing? I don't know. Is it? I, I mean, well, that's, that's I mean, all we do. All we do is flat. Every, everything. I mean, you don't do hourly anymore. The only thing we do hourly are deportations, and that's only if I think it's going to be a really complicated case. Uh, mo almost everything else is flat fee. Clients really, really like flat fees. Right. Um, and I'm but, real. I'm real flexible. Yeah. Yeah. So did did she talk you into that? Did you? You know, she said that she, she, you guys talked about that, and that. Um, I mean, she didn't say she talked you into it. But yeah. Do you find you do make more money doing it that way? Well, I think that if, you, if you're going to do flat fees, I think it's important that you understand that in some cases it's going to be to your benefit, in some cases it might not be, but that on the end it averages out. That you're, you're not, you don't want to have any case where some, someone's eating up all of your time. But at the same time, if you can get some cases done for three hours and some end up taking ten, it averages out as long as you're making seven hours worth of time, you're happy. So I think just from a, an ease, uh, I think especially when you're dealing with individuals much more than companies, they want to some certain, they want to know before they hire, um, before they hire you exactly how much it's going to cost. And I'm real easy. So for almost everything that we do costs 3,000, 2750, something like that. And I'll always give people the option. If you pay up front, I'll knock a little bit off or you can pay half up front and the rest over time. I don't care how much, how long it takes people to pay. I mean, I guess I should from a cash flow standpoint, but it's really worked out for us well to let people sort of set it their own. And, and I had a guy from Iraq. He was bringing his wife and two kids here. He paid me $50 a month for like three years. And he showed up every, every month on the first of the month, always paid, always paid cash. He was always, you know, very diligent about it. So I have not been burned. But again, I'm not the one who pays attention to who's getting paid and who's not just because that's not my thing. I, I don't really like conflict. I don't like having to complain about people not paying their bills. But I think in the whole 10 years that we've been together, been running, I've had maybe three or four or five clients not pay us everything that they promised. Yeah. So, yeah. Now with the flat fees, how, how do you, I mean, I guess through your experience, you can figure out like how much the... Yeah, so that's been a learning curve. Um, we... <coughs> We don't keep track of our time, right? And and that's probably not the best thing to do. But we have a general sense as to how long a given case. I mean, so to do a, a, a green card case, we meet with the clients a couple times, so that's probably two hours of work. Adela, but right now, so I have a lady on a farm in Kentucky named Anita. I found her on Fiverr, and so she knocks out all of my forms on the most complicated case. It cost me fifty-five dollars for her to knock out my forms. And um, then Adela reviews them, um, and then you know we're we're definitely making money. Um, I don't know precisely, but I'm not losing money for sure. I don't know. I guess I guess what I would do if I were starting out is I would keep track for sample cases. I try to get for each case type within criminal. I would want to know. Okay, so if I have you know three felonies and three misdemeanors. Look how much time it takes me on those three. Average that out. Figure out what I think should be my hourly rate. Multiply it out. 
add 500 bucks and call it a day. Yeah. When you say she maxes out your forms for you, do you mean like she actually makes them up or she goes over them and looks over them? Adela? No, like the Adela? She types them up. So our forms, so immigration is a lot of paperwork and forms. So they have to be typed? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's PDF. So um, okay. we get an intake form. Um, we, I just did it right before I came. I scanned it in. I sent it off to her with all the client's documents through Google Drive. She looks at it. She types up all the forms. They'll be back in there tomorrow morning. Clients come back, sign, pay. I mean, we review them and stuff. And then... And what was the... You named, like, a website? Yeah, what was, Fiverr? On Fiverr? Or that? Upworks? Fiverr? F-I-V-E-R-R. Or Upwork. Those are both... Like, five? Five? Or two R's. Like a fiver, I think back in the 70s, people would say, I'm going to give you a fiver. And then they added an R to it to make it something weird, you know, because of how websites are. That's one. Upwork is the other. Upwork, one word, Upwork. And you just post jobs on there. Like, if you need a logo for your criminal law firm, say Louis Law, so you have an L and an L. And so there's people you can pay 20 bucks, and you say, okay, I have 20 bucks to spend on this logo. Who wants to do it for me? And then people will bid on it, and you pick who you like. And there's reviews and everything. So my crazy buddy Brent was in town, and he said, I bet you can find someone to do your immigration forms on Upwork. So we looked, and there was a lady who had a paralegal degree. She'd taken immigration law, which is more than I had as a paralegal. And she, um, she, this is what she wanted to do. So she's on this farm with her husband in like that part of Georgia, or part of Tennessee right before Georgia by Chattanooga. And I've never met her. And um, I have... She does all of our forms now, and I have a buddy in D.C. who had a, a lawyer that was working for him, and she needed help, so now Anita does her forms. It's a total win-win situation. She signed a confidentiality agreement, a non-disclosure agreement, and all this stuff. We did a background check on her, and it's just she sends me a bill once a month. Jill pays it, and I don't have to worry about that stuff. So ultimately, everything of everybody working for me is just me pushing out work. The one, one concept that's really important that I really liked is that when Louis opens his law firm, he does not want to be emptying the trash and licking the stamps and doing all that stuff. So his, Louis's job is going to be to push down to the greatest extent possible so that he's doing the work that only he can do. That's the most important. Like Of all the things that I've learned, it's that I should not be doing things. And I... And I slip into doing things that I don't need to be doing. Sometimes I'll type a form or because I think it's faster, or sometimes I, I won't follow procedure. And whenever I don't follow procedure, all hell breaks loose and everything goes bad. Like if I schedule something of my own on the calendar. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, more content. go to MaximumLawyer.com. Maximum Have a great week and catch you next time.